0: Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the past and future of New York Magazine. That storied title is in the middle of a transition from its longtime editor, Adam Moss, to new leadership under new editor, David Haskell. And there's a lot to be chewed over about where the magazine is going what the state of magazine land is in terms of cutbacks and reshifting and and refocusing around digital verticals and other things. And also just um, talk about storytelling, which is um, something that New York has always excelled at. Adam and David sat down at Columbia Journalism School um, as part of a Delacorte lecture series that we have here. And we thought it was interesting, and we thought it'd be worth your time to sit and take a listen. So what follows is an excerpt of that conversation between Adam Moss and David Haskell.
1: Thank you all for coming. I could think of no better way to kick off the spring than with the outgoing and incoming editors-in-chief of New York Magazine. Welcome, Adam Moss and David Haskell.
2: Thank you. Thanks. So, I'll, I guess I'll just start. Sure. Um, like a little. So, today, um, when the college admissions story broke, I noticed David extremely excited. Uh, and um, and I want to know, David, why you were excited and what you did with all that excitement.
3: We are both a magazine and a newsroom, which is something that's, that Adam invented. And, you know, I think it's worth talking about how that happened because it didn't naturally have to be. Uh, but the magazine you know comes out at a cadence and you're thinking all the way up to the deadline what should be in it, whereas um, the website, which is truly a newsroom and it's just responding all the time and you're just building your immediate and then less immediate and then long-term plans um, and revising them all the time. So to me it was just really interesting to see how each of the vertical editors responded. And there was it was relatively coordinated but also on its terms, And so the writers on Intelligencer were interested in how all of elite colleges are a, a scam, or, uh, uh, or at least athletics in college are a scam, and looking at structural issues. And the cut went straight to the woman who is currently a vlogger, and turns out to have gotten in... Um, in fraudulent ways and just wrote very with uh, high-toned way about her specific story. And Vulture has a really fun project that I really shouldn't talk about yet, <laughs> planned for next week, um, that uh, was really fun to sort of get off the ground in a matter of hours. I don't know, it was just sort of like bouncing around the whole site. And it felt like, for us, it was an earthquake. It's a story that just sort of Went everywhere.
2: Okay, so why? So I like I spent the last 15 years answering the question always: What is New York Magazine about in all of its parts? Mm-hmm. And you know, you today identified um, this story as kind of exactly an earthquake, as you just said, or a sort of perfect storm, or whatever cliche you want to use uh, to identify something that's so exactly us. What is that us?
3: We know our audience very well, and it's inherently pleasurable to read about, with with such intimate detail because of the court documents, to read about powerful people misusing their power and uh, privilege. It is both structural and personal. Uh, I told Ruth you know, for what it's worth, what I'm most interested in reading in the next 24 hours is just getting somehow inside the head of a student who, at, th- at least in some cases, the students didn't know what their parents were doing on their quote-unquote behalf, and just the, imagine that the psychological heartbreak of questioning your fraudulence in a situation, in a very public situation like that. So it's psychologically interesting. Um, there's a bit of Schadenfreude. I don't know. It's one of th- it's one of the stories that is quintessentially ours. I think you know, um, not to say that we're only about scandal and power and privilege, but when that happens in the world, I think we're particularly skilled at writing about conflict, power, characters. Psychologically interesting things, things that feel like they're movies
2: already and happening in real life. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's worth noting a little bit of the history of uh, of New York Magazine, which was um, the sort of key idea that uh, Clay Felker had about this magazine. Well, there there were sort of two of them. Um, One that it would not be about the concrete of New York City; um, it would be about the idea of New York, the sort of lens through which New York saw the world. Um, and that really was a, in many ways, a revolutionary idea. Um, and the, the magazine would be defined by sensibility rather than geography. Uh, and that the second aspect of it was that the magazine's subject would be power. Um, and that it would in, uh, it would interrogate power, it would investigate power, it would, um, ridicule power, it would, uh, I, in all ways, what was central to the New York sensibility was a kind of fascination with the way power worked. And that's been interpreted very differently over the years by many uh, different editors. I've had one interpretation of it. I'm sure David will have another. Well, um, can I ask you yeah. I-
3: about your early days? I'm suddenly interested in early days. Sure. You, I remember you describing to me at the time,
2: because we knew each other then, way back then, that you wanted to undertake a restoration. It was really that the magazine that uh, I inherited was very much a product of uh, a kind of tabloid moment in New York City that was very um, vivid. Uh, It was really the era when like page six um, was actually, uh, in some ways, the defining power center of New York City that people like uh, Donald Trump's of the world, um, viewed their success or failure with how they were um, sort of uh, rendered on page six. And, um, and that was you know, f- both intoxicating and also toxic. Uh, and I came in feeling very much that that era had was now, from my own values point of view, thankfully passing and tried to uh, have the same preoccupations, but to reflect a city that was, um, I felt, changing. This was the 2004 I came in, uh, so it was just, New York City was just coming out of its um, sort of 9-11 recovery. Uh, Bloomberg was mayor. Um, there was a beginning of a sense of expanse, beginning of a, um, a widening chasm of uh, people who Uh, had money and people who didn't. Um, The city itself was changing in its like center of gravity. It wasn't just about Manhattan anymore. The second cover we did was something called the Manhattanization of Brooklyn which was considered like a radical idea at the time (laughs) and that was that sort of just prefigured um, the world that we inhabited. But just in terms of my own goals, it really was to make the magazine uh, as Smart as it was entertaining, that it was wasn't just enough to be exciting. Even though exciting is certainly something that is super important to us, um, but that I also wanted to make sure that it inhabited, it, that it had a kind of sophistication that it had at its very early days, um, and that had a lot to do with uh, what New York City was in 1968. And I felt that even though 2004 was quite different from that period, uh, that's what I wanted to regain.
3: Well, can I ask you about the Ideas meeting? I was thinking about sure. that just now as you were talking. Mm-hmm. Because, well, we had an Ideas meeting this morning, as we do every Tuesday. And magazines, I think all all magazines are made in combination, you know, in, in partnership with writers and editors. Ours, I- probably more than most, um, pieces begin as ideas pitched by editors and are assigned to writers. Not that the opposite doesn't also happen, but we do a lot of that in the in the um ideas meeting which i've just started running and my question to you is how do you and especially in the beginning when you sort of wanted to retrain the staff Mm -hmm. how do you how do you give feedback to editors on their ideas
2: well i mean i'm not necessarily good at that (laughs) the feedback thing the feedback thing is like not really my um strength and uh, like it definitely was a weakness that I hope you correct. (laughs) Because, so basically, I came from a culture, I'm old. Uh, I came up as a magazine editor um, working at Esquire, sort of tail end of the 60s, well, the 60s was long over, but the, um, was the tail end of the sort of uh, effect of the 60s. These two guys, uh, Philip Moffat and Chris Whittle, who didn't really know anything about um, national magazines, they came up and they they knew what they didn't know, um, and they hired all the great mandarins of magazine during the 60s. And they also hired some p- pipsqueaks, and so I was hired as a child into this situation. The great thing about the mandarins is that they didn't actually want to do any work. So, they sat around pontificating and teaching, and they had us young folk, um, do all the work, which was an amazing training. The main training ground uh, was the ideas meeting. The ideas meeting was meant to be a torture session. (laughs) It was uh, really infrequent when all of the young editors would not leave weeping. Um, It was excruciating, it was horrible, it was so useful. Um, in sort of sharpening an idea of what A magazine story was because they were blistering and they were just so uh, tough on ideas and like in you know you'd pitch like 30 ideas and one would get approved and you would understand in the end why that one was approved and that that in that way you um, kind of inherited uh, a set of of values about what Esquire was supposed to be. My hope in New York was that I didn't have to make people cry. (laughs) But that they would feel that same kind of pressure. um, And that the process of kind of osmotic learning uh, would take place where they would see the ideas that were lifted. And that through their own sense of internal competition um, and then their own powers of observation, they were, after all, all journalists, that they would, in fact, over time, Morph into short magazine editors, which was true. It did work for some, and it didn't. It, wor- it worked less well for others. And over the years, people would come to me and complain um, and say that, like, you know, they really want specific feedback. They basically, and also they complained that it was too difficult. The and it was too that the meetings were too taxing and scary. And I was like, this meeting isn't scary. <laughs>
3: I mean you you adjusted because when I first got there, you were still. Rendering judgment at the, at at the meeting in itself in the, m- yes, in the moment,
2: true. but I wouldn't render I, ju- I wouldn't say that's a terrible idea No, I mean it's a, I it has pros and cons. Yes, but I would say that's a good idea. Oh, I see right yeah,
3: So no 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 you would also say <laughs> uh, That that's an interesting subject. What's the story?
2: Yeah, well, I would try to like, you know I'm a little pedantic and I would try to uh, use the opportunity to teach
3: what, I- what is always frustrating about the pitch in the first?
2: Oh, instance? well, it's just you know, the, it's what, for time immemorial, it's like it will always be this most frustrating thing, is that people have a curiosity, which is good, um, but they haven't developed it. They haven't thought like a reader. Um, instead, you really have to, I think, project what the reader's going to be interested in, take your curiosity and take it through a process by which that's, you know, through the thinking of what the idea is and the Matching it with the writer, and then the just talking to the writer. Eventually, um, you start to create something that is is a is a sharp inquiry, which will, in the end, usually uh, make for a much more compelling good story. Uh, okay, what should we talk about? Well, let's talk about <laughs> let's let's talk about your past. Remind me why I hired you. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I at first was
3: standoffish, but then I really wanted the job, is the answer <laughs> why you hired me in the end. <laughs> but uh, I had started a magazine of my own called Topic that um, began at Cambridge University, uh, where I was in graduate school, and then a couple years into running it, uh, I sort of won out among the editors, New York, er, sorry, American edit- editors and British editors. The American editors wanted to make it larger than a student magazine, we sort of won that, um, dispute and then I brought it to New York. So I was, um, here editing, uh, we called it a quarterly. It was really like an occasionally, uh, we, I was waiting tables for most of that time, but also doing some, um, college admission essay editing on, uh, essayedge.com.
2: uh uh-huh. And,
3: <laughs> uh, really in love with making magazine. Keith was making his magazine at that very moment and, uh, it was, I don't know, I like a sort of pre, pre-blog um, period of um, really, I don't know, an exci- it was an exciting time for me personally, but also I think in the city at that moment, there was um, a, a sense of young editorial ambition and talent. And so um, we were introduced, you were at the Times Magazine at the time. Oh, is that and right? Yeah. And <laughs> before I brought it to New York, you were at the Times Magazine, and you um, were willing to give me advice about this little quarterly that I had going on and um, I would come into the city a couple times a year um, from England and, and you would sort of coach me through and at the beginning it was really what I had started was a literary journal and by th- the time it finally shut itself down kind of quietly in 2007 or 8 it had become a magazine and I, and I think learning what a magazine is not just a collection of stories but just magazine form was something that I got out of it I got from our conversations. and at some point uh, when you are at New York Magazine, you invited me to do a sort of guest editing of an issue on New York and London. You just let me assign so much stuff, but really what I decided I wanted was a boss. And, uh, and to, to learn to edit more, you know, to like have your own magazine that was sort of on the schedule of how much, when we could raise another $15,000 to put it out, meant that there wasn't that many times a year when I was actually editing content. And also, I I was sort of doing what I knew how to do. And that didn't seem like uh, enough for what I wanted my career to be. So I found myself a
1: boss. Um, So a few follow-ups. You guys have had an amazing track record of uh, bringing in writers who don't have a ton of clips um, and really giving them a lot of space and a lot of resources and a lot of support. so I guess you know wh- what are you looking for in a young writer? Maybe we should tag
2: team this. Sure. So, uh, th- so the first part is, um, you know, we um, so we have different kinds of writing opportunities all over the place. There's long form writing opportunities in the magazine, and then there are a variety of kinds of things that the um, writing on the internet uh, and and writing what were blogs, and then as I say, eventually publications or sort of quasi-like publications. Um, uh, created opportunities for people who wrote in with a confident voice. Um, and they didn't necessarily have to have, uh, a lot of experience. Um, what they had to have is a, is a sort of voice that you wanted to hear more of, and they had to be smart, they had to be fast. And these were, um, this, this is actually a very difficult thing to do, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have had to a lot of experience for it. So we've tried um, we've tried a lot of people out, and you know it's basically trial by fire, and they have to um, you know write fast and write a lot, or at least really in the in 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 the heyday of when we were starting to publish a lot of material, um, and that was a way that writers who were n- not yet experienced um, could get experience it 's hard writing <laughs> 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 I think also
3: well, just uh, most of my time at the magazine has been editing features, and um, I almost never would read clips from if it you know it, i i 'm not really that interested in proof that you 've done this before i 'm a little bit interested it 's useful in some context sometimes, but especially. If we're tr- if we're trying a writer out for the first time, uh, which is different than a sort of longer engagement. But if you're really just there's a there's a query for a piece sitting in your inbox, and then there's a bunch of links at the bottom. The links are useful, but the most important thing is to write those five paragraphs or whatever they are uh, with you in them, and to make it actually feel like the only person who can tell the story is the person who is telling me the story right now. The the thing that was more common from younger writers was a less confident email that had more clips and more sort of proof that I could do this, but not enough um, reason to do it, you know.
2: And I think, by the way, that's not just new Young writers. people, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's to, me, to me, and this is like nobody ever listens to me, and I, they, I, I tried this for years and years and years, and I couldn't get this to work, but I, like every single person, no matter how, I mean, even if Keith came to me, Brilliant Keith Gesson um, you know I would say like write out what you write me a query, even though I know that you're a great writer and I know what your interests are, but the the actual exercise of writing this um, proposal uh, is is one that you will be glad you did in the end and I'll be glad you did in the beginning so um, but you know it's very hard to get established writers to write these sorts of letters, but they're, they're so important one thing.
3: Mm-hmm. that I w- would add to it is that what what I think we learned, I think what you learned very early on, is that uh, obsession is the key to all of these things. Right, that's true. And that you can, it's not just that we chose the right topics, but we figured out a way to meet the reader like five times a day because they're as interested in Mad Men or whatever it w- was four years before Mad Men. And
2: we did this by like basically going back to this thing, like what was what would we hire a writer, what would we hire a writer for mainly populating Vulture, or populating Grub Street. And that was a kind of psychotic obsession with the subject. They would just, they'd have to be like crazy. There was a guy who started, um, named Josh Zersky, who started Grub Street, who was like, he was just a meat maniac <laughs> and uh, and he just cared so much he was like such a passionate carnivore that e- like and, and he did he wrote books on hamburgers and steak and all that stuff and um, and sadly is no longer with us but uh, he I, I don't think related really <laughs> uh, I don't mean to make a joke about that um, but uh, the the thing was he was like a you know he was like a real nut, and the original vulture. Uh, writers, Dan Coyce, who, then, who later ended up at Slate, and Lane Brown, who's still there, and still at New York right now, were like, really, they just lived, breathed, they cared so much about TV, I mean, like, crazy amount about TV, which was originally the subject of Vulture. And so, yes, that, that maniacal um, interest, uh, that burrowing interest made, it turned out, that made for, like, really very compelling um, web journalism.
1: Um, my last question you save your your uh, tough question for last um, you guys had uh, uh, announced layoffs yesterday so um, What's going on? <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> well uh, that happened yesterday um, Which was really unpleasant? Um, and Necessary um, You know we haven't really done that in um, Uh, in a period of time when a lot of our competitors have Uh, and um, So I think it was particularly traumatic for us um, Who've just been a kind of privileged place of not really having to live through media cycles as harshly as other places have Um, the uh, What's behind it basically a, a it was a restructuring which really is what it sounds it was a decision to move um, some money around, which really meant investing in places uh, that make the most sense for the company um, and, and finding the freedom to do that. And it was really across the company. It wasn't just editorial. So within editorial, um, it was unpleasant, but not drastic. And uh, little
2: bits here and there for the most part. I mean um, except Really, we should say, except for mm-hmm. like one team, which was the video team. Uh, we got p- hit pretty hard and that was like a strategic decision that video was still important to us um, But probably less important um, To the health of the magazine than some other parts of it uh, and so it was really it was as David said um, m- Moving money from one department to another and
3: also I would just say that for you know Those of us who believe that we have the best owners we can possibly ask for, it was important to do what we needed to do to help them continue to own this place independently. So in that sense, it felt like um, an exercise, a painful exercise, but something that was um, worth
0: it. Thanks for listening this week. In addition to Adam and David, the other voice you heard uh, in that conversation was that of Keith Gasson, who is a, a colleague of ours at Columbia, and the Delacorte Professor in Magazine Journalism at the Columbia Journalism School. Um, you, by the way, can read a interview, an exit interview with Adam Moss at cjr.org, along with everything else that we do here, and our alt that goes out every day you should subscribe to. It's called The Media Today, and our print magazine, which is about how others see the world of journalism, is just out, so check that out as well.